Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 for your scripture reading today. We'll be reading Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. When you watch movies these days about romance and marriage, you see a pattern. You see people who are lonely and needy and empty, unsure of their value and their purpose. But then by some miracle, they find another lonely and needy and empty person who finds them, of all things, incredibly attractive. And now that they are together with this other person, they are filled. They have been completed in life. They have finally found their meaning and significance and their fullness in another's arms. But here is my question for you. If you add one empty person to another empty person, should you expect fullness? If you add one vacuum to another vacuum, you don't get fullness. Instead, I brought a picture of what you get when you add two vacuums together. You get a giant vacuum. You have this incredibly loud sucking sound when you have two empty people together. That's what couples who are empty as individuals usually discover within a year or so of getting married. If we look to our spouses to fill up the emptiness within us, if we look to our spouses to give to us what only God can give, we are demanding the impossible from them. So three things will usually follow when two empty people marry one another. First, you begin to find out how selfish this wonderful spouse of yours is. Second, you discover that this wonderful spouse who was supposed to fill you is beginning to tell you how selfish you are. And third, although you acknowledge that you might be just a little bit selfish, your spouse actually is way more selfish than you are. And so you complain about that selfishness. Last week, we saw that marriage is about the gospel. Every marriage is supposed to be a picture of Jesus' love for the church. Husbands, then, are supposed to follow in Jesus' footsteps by loving their wives as Christ loved the church. But we don't have the power to love our spouses in this way. Where, then, does this power come from to love as Christ loved the church? In Ephesians chapter 5, we see that the power for marriage, it comes from God. When we are full of God, we don't come into our marriages as empty people and needy people looking for fullness from our spouse. Instead, God fills us so that we can truly love our spouses. And if you are not married, God fills us so that we can love other people. 
So let's look this morning at where the power for marriage comes from. First of all, the Holy Spirit fills you to give you the power for marriage. In Ephesians 5.18, we see the Apostle Paul give a command to the church at Ephesus. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be under the control and influence of alcohol. Be under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Let the Holy Spirit's power flow through you to serve and love other people. So how do you get this filling of the Holy Spirit? How does that come to you? It comes as you pray for it. You ask God on a moment-by-moment basis and on a daily basis to fill you with His Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit give you the power to do? He will give you the power to change into the likeness of God and to love like Jesus loves. If you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, look at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5. Look at the commands that Paul gives in the first two verses of Ephesians 5. In verses 1 and 2, we read, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, these commands are a tall order to give to us, aren't they? Imitate God. Love like Jesus loved. I'm sure that as some of Paul's readers were listening to this letter, they thought to themselves, Paul, I'm just a human being. I can't do that. I can't imitate God. I can't love like Jesus loves. So where does the power come from to do these things? We can only imitate God and love like Jesus loves with God's power. So God gives to us the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to empower us to imitate God and love as Christ loves. As the Holy Spirit fills you and lives inside you, then you have the power to love. We do not have the power to love anyone when we come to people with just our neediness and our emptiness. Church, we cannot love when we are empty. We can only love when we are full. For this reason, I want to continue to encourage you to pray the prayer that Paul prays at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians 3 and verse 19, if you will look there, you see what Paul prays for the Ephesians church, that they might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, based upon this prayer that Paul prays, how much does Jesus love you? How much? It is beyond your ability to know. It's a love that surpasses knowledge. No matter how much you think that Jesus loves you, you are wrong. You have no idea how much Jesus loves you. You can never reach the end of it. You can never find the bottom of it. That's how great Christ's love for you is. Now, what happens when we in the church have a growing understanding of how much Jesus loves us? 
The end of Ephesians 3 and verse 19 prays that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what happens when you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. When you begin to grasp how much Jesus loves you, you get full, full of God. And that fullness of God overflows from you like a fountain to other people. The fullness of the Holy Spirit empowers you and enables you to love your spouse and other people. There are basically two kinds of people in the world. There are those who like camping, and there are those who like the Hilton Hotel. (laughs) Me, I fall into the Hilton Hotel category. For this reason, I was horrified when I heard the story of Narina. When a hurricane struck South Florida one year, her home was severely damaged. And so Narina received an insurance settlement but it was not enough to repair the damage to her house. And so Narina was left with an unfinished house with no electricity. For more than 15 years, Narina had been living in a dark house with no heat, no air conditioning, and no hot water. She was camping for 15 years. What a nightmare. Now, when the mayor of her house heard about Narina's predicament, she sent an electrical contractor to finally hook up the electricity to her home after 15 years. Now, what do you think was the first thing that Narina wanted to do when the electricity was hooked up to her home? Narina said that she wanted her first hot bubble bath in 15 years. Narina said this, It's hard to describe having the power come on, to switch on. It is overwhelming. Church, before the Holy Spirit fills you, you don't have the power to do certain things. It might sound great to you in theory to be able to love your spouse like Jesus loves the church, but you don't have the power to do that without the Spirit. That's why it is such good news that God has given to us the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us. The power of the Spirit enables us to love our spouses. With the Holy Spirit, you can do what you weren't able to do before. You can now love like Jesus loves. So pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Ask Him. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you the power for marriage. Now the Holy Spirit not only fills you to give you the power for marriage, but He also fills you to give you the power to serve. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, both use a word that is one of the least popular words in the entire Bible. Okay? It's a word that begins with S. Do any of you see that word in verse 21 and 22? You see the word? It's the word submit. 
The command in verse 21 is that we as Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit are to submit to those who are in authority over us. And Paul goes on in verse 22 to command wives to submit to their husbands. In our culture, this sounds absolutely crazy. And it also sounds dangerous to give that kind of power to husbands over their wives. So let me say a few things about what submission does not mean before I talk about what it does mean. First, Paul is not commanding all women to submit to all men. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, Paul says that men and women are equal in the sight of God. Men and women both have equal value and equal worth in the sight of God. Men are not superior to women in any way. And so Paul then in this verse is only commanding wives to submit to their own husbands because God has given a leadership role to the husband within the marriage. And second, this leadership role of husbands with regard to their wives does not condone violence in any way on a husband's part. To abuse your wife is sin. It is evil. In fact, if I see or suspect that someone from this church is abusing his wife, I am required as a mandated reporter to call the police. Thank God I have never had to do that. But if I have to, I will. Physical violence against women is wrong. So just because wives are commanded to submit to their husbands, that does not mean that wives are to be a punching bag for their husbands. That is not what submission means. Well, what does submission mean in the context of Ephesians 5? The word submit literally means to arrange under It means to place yourself under an authority figure of some kind. In Paul's day, the word submission was frequently used in a military context. What happens when someone joins the military? As soon as you become a soldier, you lose control over a lot of aspects of your life. As a soldier, you have no control over your schedule over when you can take a vacation, over when you are going to eat, or even over when you are going to sleep. You lose control over all of these things when you join the military. So what do sol- why do soldiers make these kinds of sacrifices? They sacrifice, they submit to their officers in order to become part of a whole, to become part of a greater unity. Soldiers then surrender their independence, they give up the right to make decisions unilaterally, and they put the good of the whole over the good of the self. This is what it means to submit. According to Ephesians 5 and verse 21, how many Christians are supposed to submit to those in authority over them? How many? Every single one of us. Every one of us, every Christian, male and female, is to submit in some way to an authority figure. 
Every Christian, of course, submits to Jesus. He is the head of the church. He rules over us. And we all submit to other proper authorities in our lives. But in Ephesians 5 and verse 22, we see that Christian wives are commanded to submit to their husbands for the unity of the marriage and for the good of the whole family. Now, if a Christian wife voluntarily chooses to submit to her husband in this way, I don't have to tell you that that will be an extremely countercultural decision that she has made. So why would an intelligent wife of the 21st century choose to submit to her husband rather than living for her own self and for her own desires? I think it's because every Christian understands that whether or not you are a husband or a wife, we are not to live for ourselves, but we live for the other. Yes, it is true that God gives to husbands a leadership role within the marriage, but that role of the husband is certainly not that of a dictator. It's not the role of someone who doesn't listen to his wife. A husband who doesn't listen to his wife is a fool. And so a husband takes on the role of leadership in the form of a servant leader. The husband leads by serving his wife and her needs. According to Ephesians 5 and verse 25, the husband leads as he obeys the command to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Now, I get it that submission is hard for Christian wives. But is it any easier for Christian husbands to lay down their lives for their wives? Which role is theoretically easier? I think that both roles are very, very hard. Both husbands and wives are called to live out their different roles in the marriage for the good of the whole unit. So both husbands and wives are called to obey Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Let's read that verse together out loud. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Every Christian, husband and wife, single and married, is called to serve other people, to get their eyes off of themselves and onto others in order to serve them. A servant puts someone else's needs ahead of their own. That's the definition of being a servant. That is how all believers should live with one another. Husbands serve their wives through their leadership role. And wives serve their husbands through their submission to his leadership. And so by obeying the commands of Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5, husbands and wives are, are not living in the pit of misery. They're not saying, what a miserable life God has given us to do this stuff. I don't want to submit. I don't want to lead. It's not miserable to live this way. People who live this way are actually walking on the path of joy. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 16 and verse 25. 
as we read them together out loud. Let's read together. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what is Jesus teaching us here? If you seek your own happiness more than you seek Jesus, do you know what you're going to find? Neither one. You won't find happiness and you won't find Jesus. But if you seek Jesus more than you seek your own happiness, do you know what you're going to get? Both. You will get both Jesus and happiness. If you seek Christ above all things, isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't Jesus great that he would want to give us such joy? But that's what Jesus is about, to give us joy as we seek him and not so much our own happiness. What a great gift Jesus wants to give us. But we only find that gift if we seek Christ above all things. Today, as you know, is Father's Day. And so let me ask you, what do you think is the greatest gift that a father could give to his children? What do you think it is? I think the greatest gift that a dad could give to his children is to love Jesus. But I think the second greatest gift that a dad could give his children is this, that that dad would love the children's mom. When dad loves mom, the children are secure in the home and they are mostly happy. And when dad loves mom, the children learn about the importance of serving other people. They see an example in their dad of someone who looks outside of himself and cares about others. And that is very significant for children to learn. We do not naturally possess the power to serve others. What does the gospel teach us about ourselves in the Bible? The gospel teaches us that you are so lost and flawed, so full of sin, that Jesus had to die on the cross for your sins to save you. But the gospel also teaches us that you are so loved and so valued that Jesus was actually glad to die for you. He was glad to serve you in this way. And Jesus now gives you the power to serve others around you through the Holy Spirit who is living in you. The Holy Spirit fills you so that you can serve others. And finally, the Holy Spirit fills you to give you the power to see the greatness of Jesus. At the end of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul gives the church their motivation to submit to authority and to serve other people. Paul knows that submission is hard for all of us. And so Paul tells us at the end of verse 21 that we submit out of reverence for Christ. Now, this word reverence literally means fear. In the Old Testament, we read a lot about the fear of God. But here in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the fear of Christ. 
That fear of Christ motivates us to submit to others and to serve others. Now, normally, we don't think of fear as a good motivator in our relationships. If we fear someone, we don't want to get close to those people. We want to run away from them. That's what fear does to us. But the fear of Christ for the Christian does not mean that you are terrified of Jesus or intimidated by him. To fear Christ means that you are in awe of someone who is so great. To fear Christ, then, causes you to want to get closer to Jesus rather than to run away from him. We understand that fear makes us want to get closer to Jesus. As we look at the words of Psalm 130 and verse 4, let's read that verse together out loud. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now, doesn't that verse seem a little bit weird? God, what a great God you are that you would forgive me for all of my sins. I am so grateful for your forgiveness that I am terrified of you. Doesn't that sound a little bit weird? I don't think that's what the psalmist is teaching here. He means, God, what an awesome God that you are, that you would forgive me for all of my sins. Therefore, I want to get closer to you, to know you better. What a great and awesome God you are. I have to know you more. That's what the psalmist is saying. My fear and awe of you draws me closer to you. That's what fear should do to us as Christians. To fear the Lord, then, means to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of Jesus and his love. Fearing him means bowing before him in amazement at his glory and his beauty. The beauty that you see in Jesus makes you want to come back to him over and over again to see more of his glory. And when you see the glory and the greatness of Jesus in his love for you, that motivates you not only to serve Jesus, but to serve other people as well. When you have this fear of Jesus, you can serve your spouse and other people as well. Some of you know the story of World War II hero Louis Zamperini. In 1943, Zamperini's plane crashed into the Pacific with a group of soldiers, killing most of the soldiers on board. And so after 47 days afloat in shark-infested waters, Louis and one other survivor were captured by the Japanese and, and brought to Japan, where they endured two and a half years of imprisonment constant beatings, humiliation, and torture. When the war went, was over, Louis went home to California, and he suffered severe traumatic, post-traumatic stress disorder, and he became an alcoholic. He was obsessed with thoughts of going back to Japan and murdering the soldier who frequently abused him. Then in 1949, Louis Zamperini was invited to go and to hear Billy Graham preach the gospel in Los Angeles. The second time that he heard Billy Graham preach, Louis Zamperini was converted to faith in Christ. 
He experienced God's love flood his life. And he realized that he was able to forgive those who had hurt him. And so in the fall of 1950, Louis Zamperini flew back to Japan. And he spoke at the prison where he talked to many of the prison guards who were in prison for their treatment of him and others. He spoke about Christ's power and Christ's grace to bring forgiveness. To the prisoner's shock, he embraced each one of them with a loving smile. What empowered Louis to forgive his torturers? The Holy Spirit had put the fear of Jesus into him. He saw the greatness of Christ's love for him, and the love of Jesus motivated him to love and to serve others, even those who were formerly his enemies. After the war, Louis' shame, his fear, and his anger had completely eaten up his ability to love and serve other people. But when the Holy Spirit filled Louis with the knowledge of Christ's great love for him, he had the power to love and serve others. So what is it that gives us the power for marriage? It is the Holy Spirit of God who helps us to see the greatness of Jesus in the gospel. The gospel teaches that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. And he died the death that we should have died in our place. So that we who believe in Jesus have our sins forgiven. And we are considered righteous in Christ's sight. Then we are accepted and we are loved by God. Not because of anything that we have done. But simply because of what Jesus has done for us. When the Holy Spirit fills you and you see the greatness of Christ, then you can love and serve your spouse, just like Jesus has loved and served you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you do not give commands to us without also giving us the power to obey those commands. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives in us to give us the power that we need to love and to serve others. I pray for each marriage in this church that you would bless the spouses with the power to love and serve their spouse through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen.